Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Behold the man. This is our Easter sermon series. It's crazy to think that Easter is only five weeks away, isn't it? Uh, So this is our Easter sermon series. Behold the man, discovering the truth of Jesus through those who beheld him. We are going to look at the story of Easter, the Easter story, Jesus up to the cross, and we're going to look at different characters and how they viewed Jesus, most of the time incorrectly, and we're going to learn what truth that teaches us about Jesus. This painting that you see here is a painting by Antonio Ciceri that he painted in 1871, and it's called Behold the Man. It's not actually called that because its title is Latin, but I can't read Latin, so I'm not going to try to pronounce that. But it's called Behold the Man, and it depicts John's account of Jesus being presented to the angry Jewish mob the day that he was crucified. Beaten, mocked, humiliated by the Roman guards, dressed in a scarlet robe with a crown of thorns pushed down on his head. And Pilate says these words to the Jews, Behold the man. A few years ago, I read that quote as I was going through my Bible, and I thought, man, that'd be a really great sermon series. Behold the man. God reminded me of that a couple weeks ago. So I thought, sure, why not? Let's, let's dust it off, let's pull it out here, and let's see what God has to say to us through this Easter sermon series. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, because Pilate is going to be one of these characters that we look at. But Pilate says this exact thing, this is something very interesting, in John 16, 38. Pilate, or Jesus is before Pilate, and they're having this conversation. Pilate's trying to decide, do I, what do I do with this guy? Do I crucify him like the Jews want? Do I beat him and send him away? What do I do? And so they're having this conversation. Jesus tells Pilate, I came to testify to the truth. And Pilate says this really interesting quote. He says, what is truth? That's an absolutely, ter- I don't think we realize how terrifying that statement is coming from Pilate. This is, this is the judge and jury here, right? He holds Jesus' life in his hands, and not just Jesus's, every criminal who's going to be crucified, he holds their life in his hands. And he's asking Jesus, what is truth? Now you can imagine, he's probably a little skeptical, right? He's seen so many criminals come through these doors. He has seen so many innocent people wrongly accused come through his doors. And everyone's got their own version of truth. Well, yeah, he did it. Well, no, I didn't do it. I'm innocent, right? 
you can imagine as a judge, as that wears on you over and over again, you start to become cynical. And Pilate's cynicism shows through here. What is truth, Jesus? I have heard so many people come in here and say the same thing, that they testify to the truth. What is truth? But that is a very, very popular question today in our culture. What is truth? And we got to be careful because we live in a culture where the number one sin in our culture is to tell somebody that their truth is wrong. Right? Our culture believes you have your truth and I have mine. But don't you dare tell me that my truth is wrong. You just go along happily in your truth and I'll go along happily in my truth and we'll be good. But the problem is Jesus doesn't leave that option open to us. We've got to be so careful though, church, because we have let this idea, this concept, infiltrate the church. As we've continued on as the Western church, there's this really, it sounds so good to the ears. It sounds so good. But there's this half-truth out there. It says this, forget religion, find God. Right? I've heard somebody else say, Jesus didn't die for a religion. He didn't die to form a religion. He died for a relationship. That sounds really good. It sounds really good. And it fits under the, what is it, 127 characters? Is that what Twitter is? It fits under that, and so everybody can tweet it. And so it catches like wildfire, right? But just because you can tweet it doesn't mean it's true. And I'm afraid it's anchored in this half-truth. Our culture loves it. Because what that says, when you say forget religion, it's all about relationship. What that says is, well, my relationship with Jesus is my own. So God told me this, and you can't tell me he didn't. Right? Even more dangerously, we keep slipping down this slope. Even more dangerously, well, God told me this, and not even this can tell me that he didn't. Ladies and gentlemen, and, and you know, we say, oh, well, that's not us. Are you sure? Check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? We've got to check this. We're going to hit it even harder, but ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ came, and when he tells Pilate, I came to testify to the truth. Now, what most of us mean when we say religion, forget religion, it's all that boring stuff, right? It's not about rule following. It's, not about, it's about a relationship. But ladies and gentlemen, there is truth in relationship. If we get down, if we forget religion, if we forget doctrine, if we forget theology, it's, that's awesome. It's all about relationship. But how do you know who you're in a relationship with? Right? That was a horribly constructed English sentence. I apologize. With whom you're in a relationship Religion, doctrine, theology leads us to the truth of Jesus. And if Jesus tells Pilate, I came to testify to the truth, that means something. Jesus didn't come to testify to your truth. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a God who doesn't cater to your truth. He stands in his truth. It is the Holy Spirit's truth. It is the Holy Spirit's unity. It is the Holy Spirit's church. 
and we have to get alongside him. We're going we're gonna to really dive into this next week. I've, I probably spent a little too much time on it here today, but next week the character we're going to look at, I won't spoil it for you, but we're really going to get into this. It, it's terrifying. It should terrify us when we look at this. All right, but today's character that we're looking at is Peter. I love Peter. Don't you all love Peter? Such a great character. But through the eyes of Peter, specifically in the story that Lexa read us today, but really throughout all of Peter's walk with Jesus, we learn some incredible truths about who Jesus is and about who Jesus isn't. So today we're going to look at these three things. We're going to look at who Jesus is, we're going to look at how Jesus loves, and then we're going to look at how we are to love in response to that. So let's dive in here. First, who is Jesus? We see here, and I think a lot of times, I've heard this story preached from a a billion times. I'm sure many of you who have been in the church for a long time, you've heard this sermon before, right? Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It is a really great sermon to preach to encourage people to serve, right? If Jesus served, we as his followers, what do we have to do, right? If the king is serving, then all of his subjects better get in line to serve, right? But there's something else going on here, and I don't think it hits us hard enough. The Holy Spirit rocked me with this one as I was studying this text. And I think we need to let it hit us. I, I, I have some ideas here, and I'll give them to you because that's what a preacher does, right? But from our reading today, let's wrestle with this. says, Jesus, he's washing the disciples' feet, and he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, this is Simon saying to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Do you guys pick up on Peter's attitude here? Peter is downright offended, right? Peter's saying, whoa, Jesus, hold on a second. Never, never would I let you wash my feet. Put, put, Jesus, put your clothes back on. Get that dirty rag off of your waist. You're not washing my feet. I'm going to wash yours. But you're not going to wash my feet, right? Peter's disgusted at this idea. And ladies and gentlemen, I think we need to be disgusted at this idea. I'm afraid it's anchored in cheap grace, We, as a culture, as a society, as a Western church, we buy, even when we, if we don't think we do, we buy too much into cheap grace. And we miss this. What does Peter know? What does Peter know? Look at this. Peter understands from the very beginning of his walk with Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, this is when Peter first meets Jesus. They're out on the sea, and Jesus tells him, hey, I know you've been fishing all night. Throw your nets over on the other side of the boat. Peter says, you crazy dude. Do you think we didn't try that? But he does. Catches so many fish, the nets start to break. It starts pulling, their boat starts sinking. 
He, they've got to call other, over other boats to help him out. Come on, help me out. Jesus, I've, I've got to think, you know, looks at Peter a little smugly. Nah, Jesus wouldn't do that. He wouldn't rub it in his face. See? See, Peter? I know what I'm talking about. Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says the first words out of his mouth, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And what does Jesus do? He jumps out of the boat, runs away, and says, You're right. Get away from me, trash. No. Jesus does what he does to every sinner who comes to him. He pulls him close, and he tells him, I've got a job for you to do, Peter. But Peter doesn't arrogantly approach the throne of grace. Does he? You know, there's that passage from Hebrews 4.16. I think it gets taken out of context far too often. It says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Some translations say, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. And, and that's good. I think we should boldly approach the throne of grace. But listen to me. Boldly approaching the throne of grace is not give you license to be a jerk. You know what I'm saying? That does not mean that I march in and ugh, our culture's got a little problem with entitlement. We do not march before the throne of grace stomping our foot and saying, God, give me. Doggone it, Lord, I deserve this. Give it to me. That is not boldly. That's a jerk. Jesus called, calls us to have childlike faith, right? Not childish faith. We have a beautiful daughter. Her name is Promise Hased. She's sitting right back there right now. She has this wonderful tendency to walk into a room and shout, Dad, give me water. And can I tell you something? As a loving father, do you know what that response gets or what what that gets from me every time what do you come on parents what do you say to that how do you ask right right that's what a loving father does why because i don't want my kid to grow up to be a jerk to people right so why do we feel like that's how we approach the throne of grace guys ladies and gentlemen it, it is not I, i'm sorry I, I'm, I'm going st to, I'll stick to this till the day I die. It is not bold faith. This kind of faith doesn't honor God to walk before the throne of grace and demand stuff from him. Th that's not bold faith. That's arrogance. You are called a child of God, yes, absolutely. But don't you dare forget where you came from. The fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ gave his life to save us. And if he does nothing else for me for the rest of my life here on earth, that is enough. When I approach the throne of grace, I approach it with the gospel in mind that that is what Jesus Christ has given me. That that is what Jesus Christ bought for me and that he doesn't have to do anything else. Now, you know what's crazy? You know what's absolutely crazy? When I approach Jesus that way, when I approach him as a sinner saved by grace, he calls me child. He calls me his. 
He calls me beloved. But I don't come in acting like it, right? It's not entitlement. That doesn't honor God because ultimately, Peter saw this. John 6, 66 to 69. This is right after Jesus preaches the sermon of his life. He tells people, if you want to be my disciples, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Literally. That's what he tells everybody. And guess what? Everyone leaves. They're like, peace out, Jesus. We don't want to do this. You're crazy. What are you preaching? Cannibalism here? This is why I don't buy into any church growth strategies. Because Jesus did this. Drops an atomic bomb and all of his followers walk out, except for 12. And those 12 Jesus turns to. Says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew that Jesus was Messiah. Peter knew that Jesus was Lord. There was no question in his mind. These men gave up absolutely everything to follow Jesus to the point where there was no turning back. There was nowhere else they wanted to be. This is why Jesus washing Peter's feet was so offensive. Right? This is why this idea, this concept is so offensive. And, and at Christian, we need to grab onto this a little better. Do you know that Muslims, one of, the, one of the problems they have with Christianity is that Christianity says that God came down and became a human and did all of those human things, like Jesus went to the bathroom, okay? If you, if you talk to, to people of other faiths, like Muslims and, and other faiths, I'm sure, they find that absolutely offensive. I challenge you, ask. Ask someone sometime. They will confirm that is an offensive idea to them, that God would put on flesh and come down and defecate. Poop. That's absolutely offensive to them. And Christian, it should be offensive to you. We don't deserve that kind of grace. I don't deserve a God who came down, who put on flesh, who suffered, who did all of the human things when he could have sat comfortably in heaven. I don't deserve that. But that's what Jesus did. This grace should be offensive to us. Not offensive because, oh, that's awful but offensive because, God, I don't deserve this. God, I don't deserve a Savior like this. I, I, I think when John Newton wrote his hymn, hymn, Amazing Grace, that's what he's talking about. We've, we've emotionalized it, right? We've gotten hyper-emotion, and so it's just, it's, you know, amazing, yay. Guys, isn't God's grace amazing? That's not what he meant, because he doesn't say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it lovely? Isn't it wonderful? Yay. That's not how the song goes, right? 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This grace is offensive. Not offensive that it drives us away, but offensive that it humbles the socks off of us. So when I approach the throne of God, I approach it with humility. Boldly, because I know who Jesus has called me, but with humility. Because Jesus gave this up for me. This is what Jesus did. He still, even as a sinner, he still calls me. He still chooses me and loves me. And when I look at that, what choice do I have but to fall down at his feet and worship him? What choice do I have but to live all of my life in radical obedience to him? And what does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to love, right? To love like he loves. So how does Jesus love? Through the eyes of Peter, we see this truth. And we see first that Peter does it the wrong way. When Jesus calls Peter to love, look at what Peter does. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. But is, com- uh, yes, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Again, Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. These aren't the only times that we see this from Peter. Peter has what I call foot-in-mouth syndrome, right? There's a lot of times, I think that's why I relate to him so well. There are so many times Peter puts his foot in his mouth. And why? Guys, Peter loves Jesus, right? There is no question. You cannot judge the sincerity of Peter's heart. He loves Jesus, But all throughout Scripture, Peter tries to love Jesus the world's way. We see this so much today. Some of you probably know individuals like this, right? When the world loves, the world wants loud love. The world wants flashy love. Emotional, sentimental, spontaneous, dare I say, reckless love. That's what the world wants. That's what Peter tries to give Jesus, right? Well, then Jesus, don't just wash my feet, wash my whole body. Well, Jesus, I'll go with you. I will give my life for you, right? Romeo and Juliet, right? Because that's love. It's the Twilight series, Edward and Bella, right? The heart wants what it can't have, right? Jesus, look at me. Jesus, I'll go to the mission field. Jesus, I'll I'll lay down my life for you. I love you, Lord. We all know those people, right? Who go way over the top. That's Peter. 
and we're not judging the sincerity of their heart, but that's not how Jesus loves. Jesus loves like this. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus takes off his Sunday best and puts on a servant's towel and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And don't miss this. This is my favorite part. Ladies and gentlemen, Judas is still there, right? For those of you dealing with unforgiveness in your heart, I'm not telling you it's easy. In fact, it's so difficult that the only way you can do it is with the Holy Spirit's help. But Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus washed all of his disciples' feet. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't loud. I guess you could argue to the disciples it looked spontaneous. But guys, Jesus doesn't do spontaneous right? God has this awesome quality of knowing all things, seeing all things, knows the beginning and the end and everything that happens in between. God doesn't do spontaneous. That's why the idea of a reckless love from God is so contrary to who he is. It literally can't happen. To be reckless, something has to be unplanned, not thought out. From the beginning of time, the gospel was the plan. God has had this all laid out, and it's happened exactly as he orchestrates it. But look at Zephaniah 3.17. This is one of my favorite Bible verses. I know I say that about every Bible verse I preach on, but I really do love this one. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. This is God's love. God is quiet in his love. That does not mean that God practices low decibel levels when he talks to you, right? It's not like the still small voice and you can't hear it if the music is too loud. That's not God. But what it means is that God isn't flashy, right? I've used this illustration before, but but. The, the love that we want today, the romance that we want today, and I, Jana and I, we, we love marriage. We love talking to people about marriage, counseling people through marriage, premarital counseling, all that stuff. And so we've, we've read a lot of marriage books, and I cannot tell you how many of those marriage books are full of trying to give you bubbling brook advice, Right? I could throw up if I see one more marriage book that says, be spontaneous. That's not God's love. So look, if your spouse wants you to be spontaneous, be spontaneous. Sure, it's not going to hurt anything, but that's not God's love. The world teaches a noisy love. It's a bubbling brook. You guys have been somewhere where there's a brook, a little stream. It's loud, right? 
you can hear the water hit the rocks and it's making a ton of noise and everything. But when you go to a river, a deep river, it's not noisy, right? It's steady, it's deep, it's constant, it's not easily crossed, right? It's not a noisy symbol. It reminds you of something, doesn't it? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's from 1 Corinthians 13, and that is God's love. It's not flashy. It's not loud. It's quiet, but it is so steady and rock solid. God's love for you was planned from the foundations of this earth. God's love selflessly serves, constantly puts the other first. See, no one's going to make movies about that kind of love, though. Right? It's not sexy. But it is steady and solid. And it is the only kind of love that is worth giving your whole self to. Because you know that you are safe in that kind of love. And that is exactly how we are called to love. Jesus says this to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Guys, this is it. We've been hitting on this every single sermon, sermon series, everything that we've done. This is what we've hit on. And Christian, disciple of Jesus, you cannot take this seriously enough. We are called to love exactly as Jesus has loved us. Right? Not a step down. God does not say, you know, I, I always knew it was bad news. Whenever I was getting ready to take a test in school and I was destined for failure, my mom would always tell me, Jeremy, just do your best. That was always a death sentence for me because I knew that meant she, my number one supporter, didn't think I was going to pass. And so she was just telling me, just do your best. And <coughs> God doesn't tell us to do our best. Guys, the, the church today preaches practical sermons. This is how you practically get there. I don't want you to get a practical sermon here today or ever. This isn't about practicality. This is about Jesus and the gospel. And the gospel says, you do God's best. Not you do Jeremy's best. Not you do your best. Not you do your mom or dad's best. You do God's best. And Jesus doesn't just set up this standard and hope we get close. He gives us the very power of God to walk that out. To live that truth. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. And then after he was resurrected and ascended to heaven and released the Holy Spirit, he gave us the power to live that truth. We've got to stop selling ourselves short of anything else. 
Jesus has called us to love exactly as he loves us. Not just God, but everyone. Can anyone here do that? Anybody want to be bold enough to shoot your hand up and say, yeah, I'm good, I can do that. You can't, right? You can't, but Jesus did and will through the Holy Spirit in you. That is the gospel in a nutshell. But it requires complete and total dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You have got to walk with him every moment of every day. My favorite illustration of this is actually found between Peter and the resurrected Jesus. I know it's before Easter, so I'm not supposed to preach about the resurrection yet, but sue me. Just kidding, don't sue me. John 21. Many of you have heard me preach on this before. I will never not preach on this passage when I get the opportunity because it is the coolest thing in the Bible. And so many times it goes right over our head because we miss what's happening here in the English language. But this is what the Bible tells us. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. There's something super interesting that happens in the Greek here. There are multiple Greek words that are used for love. They have multiple different kinds of love. There's, you know, romantic love. There's a brotherly love. And then there's this strange biblical love. It really doesn't gain traction in the Greek language until the Bible is written. It exists, but it's not used hardly ever, and it's this agape love. So Some of you may have heard that before, but this agape love, it is a love that is self-serving. It is a love that comes from an object so much higher given to an object that is completely unworthy of that kind of love. It is a love that could only describe God's love toward us. Now what happens in this exchange? We see in English, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, I love you, Jesus. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, I love you, Jesus. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, I love you, Jesus. But the Greek says, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I, phileo, love you. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape love me a second time? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I phileo love you. And a third time Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And I love this illustration because I have been there right? Any of us who have been walking with Jesus, we can say, I have been there. I have given him my best. But when I try to do it on my own, it's Jesus, I want to give this to you, but this is as good as I can do. Jesus says, do you agape love me? And I say, Jesus, I can't. I can phileo love you, but I I don't know what this is. 
And Jesus says again, see, Jesus, he's, he's not lowering the bar, right? But he's also not running out on Peter. Because he asks the second time, Peter, do you agape love me? Peter says, Jesus, I just told you, I'm not there. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo love me? And Peter says, now that I can do. And Jesus says, come on. And the coolest part of this story doesn't actually happen here. It happens, we see it in the book of Peter. We don't, don't actually see it. It may be in the book of Acts, I can't really remember. But in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost happens. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on all believers, including Peter. And when Peter writes his letter, we get it in the Bible from First and Second Peter, when you read, Peter is chalk full of agape love. When he writes his book, the form of love that he uses more than any other, not even close, is the agape form of love. You guys see it? We're called to love exactly the way Jesus loves. Jesus is calling you this morning. All sinners who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. He calls us his children. He calls us his beloved. And he says, Jeremy, do you agape love me? Listen, if you're trying to do it on your own, I promise you, the, the highest you're going to get is that phileo love. That's as good as you're going to get. But guys, if you will just surrender to the Holy Spirit, if you will just let go and walk in dependence with Him every day of your life, He will agape love through you. He will show you that perfect love. And He will help you to love that exact same way. Can you do it? Nope. You can't. But if you walk with the Holy Spirit, He will do it through you. This is the truth of who Jesus is. This is the truth of what the Easter story is all about. Don't convince yourself that the Easter story ends with the resurrection of Jesus. That wasn't the end of it. The end of it was all of this has happened so that you could have the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to his great name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have given us everything we could ever need to live a life pleasing to you. So Father, forgive us. Forgive us for trying to do this on our own. Forgive us for running after things that don't draw us any closer to you. Forgive us for, for falling into traditions, Lord God. Forgive us for falling into the way that we think things should be done. Holy Spirit, teach us what your religion looks like. Teach us what following you really looks like, Lord. Jesus, you promised us, you, you told Pilate that you came to testify to the truth and you have promised us that that's the Holy Spirit's job, 
to lead us into all truth. So Jesus, help us to take our hands off the wheel. Holy Spirit, help us to be so completely dependent upon you. God, like this world has never seen before. Help us to surrender our thoughts. Help us to surrender our ways to you, Jesus, knowing that yours are better. Help us to give everything to you and live our lives in obedience to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.